Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters for the 3rd of November 2023. I'm very pleased to be joined by Stelios, Hello. Carl, Hello. and very pleased indeed to have back Godfrey Bloom, who of course is a political commentator, author and military historian. I very much enjoyed our chat last time. I'm very pleased to have you back. Former oh. MEP as well. Yes, that's Oh, no, true. don't mention that's too ghastly. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. So we're going to be talking about... Um, Muslims understanding our weaknesses. I believe Stelios is going to be talking about the importance of remembrance, and Carl's going to be talking about the new Marks and Spencers advert. Yeah, the most important bit. <laughs> oh, if you say so. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> So, at the minute, it is Islamophobia Awareness Month. I'm not sure if you're all aware of this, but... Um, I mean, I'm doing my best, but I'm just one man. I know, I, I'm helping you out at least. <laughs> it's a so, whole month, it's not just a day. Mm -hmm. so, For uh, me, it's a whole year. <laughs> So in the spirit of Islamophobia Awareness Month, I thought it'd be good to look at Islam because, of course, oh, there, it's definitely not a topical topic at the minute. There's certainly uh, no conflict that's going on that everyone's talking about. That's not happening. Um, to, to be fair, though, Josh, I mean, you could pick any day. That is true. And that would have been true, right? So That's the, the tragedy of the situation, isn't it? So um, if we move on to this BBC article here, um, this is um, for Scotland, by the way. Islamophobia awareness should be taught in every school. And um, See, I just read this as a form of promotion. <laughs> you know, go around the schools. Are you Islamophobic enough? Are you sure you haven't really worked on this? Sorry. I, I remember actually when I was at school, um, they, they played us a, a video um, to do with domestic violence, trying to um, discourage people. And don't worry, this isn't going where you think it's going. And the, 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 the gentleman was using lots of creative language to insult his wife, which just gave all of the kids in the class, lots of new insults. Um, <laughs> I think that this sort of thing is what's going to happen because um, if, if children are anything like what I was like at school, then whatever you're told to do, you will do the opposite as a matter of course. And uh, that's probably what's going to happen here. And it's also worth pointing out as well that um, Hamza Yusuf is, of course, the first minister of Scotland who yeah. is a, a Pakistani Muslim. So... It's a strange thing for them to be so concerned about when the highest position in Scotland is occupied by a Muslim. One would but, presume that they're um, fine. The Muslim population of Scotland is also very low. It is indeed. Most yeah. of them in Britain live in England. Mm -hmm. And it's also very strange as well because quite often things are framed in a minority sense. And actually, um, you know, Europe somewhat shares a border with the Middle East. And I believe the the population of Europe is, what, 742 million versus um, 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, or a quarter of the world's population. Yeah, and Stelios, in Greece, do they have Islamophobia Awareness Month? They have all sorts of craziness. <laughs> yes, they, they have all sorts of craziness. I haven't heard the month, but yeah, we do have people saying, uh, like Varoufakis, for instance, that we should decolonize Greece and stuff like that. Would it not be... Interesting. If uh, in Islam, Islamophobia is is there, if it's a true phenomenon, which I suspect it probably is. Uh, actually, what does it mean? It means a fear of Islam, does it not? A fear of Islam. So it might be interesting to open up the debate somewhere in the country about why people would have a fear of Islam. Why would they have this fear? It's not as but, if there's a track record at all, is there? No, I'd be I'd afraid. Be, exactly, uh, and. Uh, uh, it depends. Uh, Islamophobia links with homophobia, does it not? Well, it's... Um, you know, how deep do you dig uh, without uh, turning up uh, your proverbial can of worms? 
uh, yeah, perhaps people are phobic about Islam for a reason. Well, it feels a little bit like the emperor's, uh, the, the emperor's clothes, right? The emperor's new clothes. Everyone can see it already. It's kind of, it seems to be kind of out in the open already, but nobody is brave enough to just go. So there's also some very clever linguistic subversion in the term itself, because of course, a phobia is a psychological condition and it's, it's an implying that fear, right? yeah, it's, it's implying Im- irrationality. Yeah. yeah. It's implying that there's no good reason to be uh, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, people would probably describe me as Islamophobic, um, even though it, it's more of a, a rational objection to the tenets of Islam is not necessarily fear. I mean, I yeah. wouldn't be saying what I say on, on this podcast if I was afraid. So it, it's kind of a silly term in, in the first place, but, I wanted to draw attention to this next article because this is um, particularly egregious. Um, so this is all about um, Charlie Peters of, of GB News. He um, called up a mosque. I believe it's Lewisham Islamic Centre in London. Um, Bo was telling me actually as um, someone from Essex, you know, relatively close to it, that it's, it's got a bit of a dodgy reputation around there. I don't know London. It's like a, a foreign country to me. I'm, you know, from the West Country. I'm from like, England. London's a foreign country to me. Yes. Yeah. It's like Mordor to me, to, to the yeah. Shires. Um, so he called up because there was a video of um, one of the imams accusing the Israeli Defense Force of committing terror and calling for Muslim countries to intervene in the Israel-Hamas conflict. And he also, for some reason, denounced the singer Justin Bieber and Kylie Jenner as sick because, of course, these are the, the sacred cows, apparently, of, of uh, British culture for some reason. Um, I, I don't really understand the focus on them. I mean, I'm more than happy for people to call yeah. them out, but I, I, I can usual terms because right? what they what the, I really think this is sort of um, ties into T. S. Eliot's view on revealed religion. So it's very clear that Islam is the revealed religion of Muslims because it's what they do. They literally, you know, organize, go to mosque every day, five pray five times a day. You can see Islam in their lives, and so they're looking, going right. Well, we do all of these things. What do the Westerners do? And our revealed religion appears to be pop stars and indulgence and laziness. And, and so they're like, okay, yeah, well, we denounce your pop stars. It's like, so do okay. I, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we're going to blow up your shopping malls. So, okay. <laughs> well, that's a, you know, that's a bit worse than denouncing pop stars. Sure, but like, like you know, we're going to attack the things we think you hold as sacred cows without realizing we don't actually hold them as sacred cows. We kind of, we lack anything sacred really. Yeah, there's a certain amount of apathy towards these sorts of things oh, yeah. you know, that they don't necessarily understand yeah. because, of course, in their own cultures, if they're apathetic towards something, it tends not to be a, a cultural institution in the well, same way. They come from an, a culture that prioritizes honor, right? So to insult something is to degrade the honor of that thing. But I don't care if you degrade Kylie Jenner or whatever it was. You know? I encourage it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I do the same <laughs> thing on myself. Yeah, I, I, hate I wish I knew who she was. Yeah, exa- yeah I don't really know. Well, I, I wish I was in your position, <laughs> to be honest. But that's, but that's the point. They're looking at this from a very old world perspective, mm. being like, right, you know, like pop stars, how, we're insulting them. What will you do? Nothing. And so to, <laughs> we, we must seem alien and incomprehensible to them since mm-hmm. we don't care about these things. But sorry. No, you're, you're very, very right. So, um, it's also worth mentioning as well that this um, this mosque, which has been described as extreme by the government, which um, doesn't that, count for Is much. that why they gave, they gave it so much money? Yes. Yes, they gave it um, um, over half a million pounds of taxpayers' money between 2015 and 2020, because that's what we should be doing with taxpayers' money, is giving half a million to mosques. Um, I'm very pleased that all of my <laughs> taxes are going towards that sort of thing. But um, 
just a, sorry, as a quick side, just imagine how schizophrenic they must think we are. You know, we're like, oh, we're, we don't like Islam, but we are going to give you loads of money. And we're not going to take offense when you insult our culture and the mm-hmm. things you perceive to be the sacred cows of our culture. We're not going to take offense. We're just going to give you money. And then we're going to be angry at the people for not treating you with due respect. It's like, what must they think of us? I think it's part of the reason why they talk about um, Britain and the West, more generally speaking, as being ripe for Islamic conquest culturally. Yeah. Not an actual military conflict yeah. per se, although some, I don't doubt, would like that. Um, but more so that they're going to str- try and convert as many people because they see us as misguided, which, you know, the latter part isn't necessarily untrue. Have they converted anyone, though? Andrew Tate, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> Not that that counts for much. I have suspicions about the Archbishop of Canterbury. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be onto something. There. I've never heard him really stand up for Christianity, so he must mm. be going for something somewhere, somehow. I think it has to do with lobbying to a significant extent because I think that the demographics of Muslim populations in Europe are overwhelmingly voting for left-wing parties, whereas in their countries of origin, they may support more conservative policies. This is kind of epitomized in Turkey, um, in Turkey, in Germany, easy mistake to make, um, where um, <laughs> they'll, they'll vote uh, Erdogan in Turkey yeah. and then a left-wing yeah. party. But Greens in Germany. Yeah. yeah, so it's more of a divide-and-conquer issue that leftist parties, parties are playing and they are exchanging money for political support. Mm. They're buying political support and they're saying, I'm going to fund whatever you want me to fund. So coming back to the story itself, um, Charlie Peters contacted this mosque to ask them about these sorts of questions um, that, that are raised from their their rhetoric about basically calling for a jihad against Israel and getting taxpayers' money. How dare you denounce Justin Bieber, sir? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the, these seem like legitimate journalistic questions, right? Yeah. You're getting taxpayers' money to go against the official government line on the conflict, right? Yeah. And so it makes sense that you reach out to them for question. But um, if we move on to this tweet here from Charlie himself, uh, he, the uh, Lewisham Mosque uploaded to their own Twitter account, which I'm quite surprised exists, um, because um, I, I would have thought that a, a mosque wouldn't have a Twitter account. I mean, maybe well, I'm a bit backwards. Yeah. I wouldn't expect a church either, but here we are. Uh, and they um, pretty much screenshotted their reply to him, and they went through his GB News articles and tallied up how many of his articles. Um, it says, uh, yeah, down here it says, um, the articles you you have churned out for GB News website, which we number at 40, it appears 17 of these related primarily to Muslims, um, i.e. 42.5%. Um, you have a further five articles relating to issues of race and refugees. And they go on to say that, uh, well, considering you are not an ethnic minority, well, you must be racist. You're not allowed to talk about the subject. And I, I don't think um, Lewisham Mosque is actually concerned about racial equality. I think they're... <laughs> really? I know that's a rather <laughs> radical opinion. But, um, it came as a shock. I think they're using our, our controversial politics against us for their own ends. And in this case, it's not to be scrutinized, um, which you, know, you can understand. Yeah. But they're, they're using tactics that aren't necessarily communicating on good faith, are they? They're trying to deflect. And it, it goes on and on. And it also mentions that GB News has had clashes with Ofcom. Were you involved in this? Do you denounce GB News for their misinformation, things like that. So they're, they're pulling out every uh, trick in the book to try and get out of answering the questions he sent them. Um, 
And it, it's worth mentioning here, he says, I'm not intimidated by this slot, um, TikTok. And um, of course, he's saying, I'm waiting for you to answer the questions. The time's running out. Uh, but that's not how they chose to interpret it. Uh, disingenuous it, uh, or not. Uh, let me guess. They're going to accuse him of calling them terrorists and that's a reference no, to a they're, bomb? They're, they're saying that he's making a potential bomb threat to the mosque. <laughs> Which is a little bit on the nose from radical <laughs> Islam, isn't it? Um, Hello, Pop, this is Kettle. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a bit confused. You, you would think that they would have a bit more foresight than this. To uh, uh, I, I just don't understand why they would draw attention to that. It's also the first thing that comes to mind kind of reveals what's on your mind as well. So, well, no, there's, there's no reason we should think that L the Lewisham Mosque is going to be involved in any bombings or anything, I'm sure. But the idea that that can be tantamount to a bomb threat. I mean, yeah. come on. So they reported him to the police for a hate crime, and oh. I did contact him. Isn't uh, it? That's more, worse than a hate crime. It's a threat of violence. It thing. is, yeah. So they, they kind of understood that it wasn't an actual yeah. um, bomb threat. They did. Um, now, what policeman did you talk to in there? Someone wonders. Well, suppose on account of most of them are so stupid, it's almost <laughs> unbelievable. Did you find an intelligent policeman in Lewisham? I don't know. I can't say I've ever been for very good reason. Uh, things like this. I was going to put my money on it, though. Hmm. I was going to place a bet. But uh, as I understand it, I've not seen any news to say that the police actually turned up and followed this up. Okay. Um, perhaps they were too busy um, tearing down you know, these Israel posters like some of them were doing. I don't think that was necessarily Lewisham. But nevertheless, it was the Met Police, right? So... Yes, I, I did contact Charlie Peters for a, you know, some sort of comment, but he hasn't um, unfortunately got back to me yet. So I wanted to find out whether the police did actually come round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe he is arrested right now. Who knows? Um, but I haven't seen any news about it, so I think it's fair to say he probably hasn't. But the point being here, that they understand our political weaknesses in this country, what they can exploit to get away with doing what they want. Yeah. And there are lots of instances of this, and this is particularly egregious because of... Um, a new report that has come out recently, um, as GB News have reported on, uh, in an article titled Police Ignoring Hate Speech Against White People, Shocking New Findings. So this is a report from the Institute of Economic Affairs. Um, they, in GB News's words, found free speech was being stifled by a surge in numbers of hate crime investigations, which I wholeheartedly agree with that presentation. It says people who speak out on controversial topics, including transgender rights, and Islam were facing police probes after their opinions were flagged for being potentially harmful. Um, the IEA's head of cultural affairs, Mark uh, Glending, I, 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 sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it, who penned the report, claimed laws were only partially being applied. He also suggested police were refusing to seek prosecutions for similar cases directed at white victims. So these sorts of laws are also being selectively applied by the police, not only... Um, that they're being exploited and people know that you can exploit them. We are having our own institutions turned against us in our own country by people who I think have no place here. Um, I don't think that's particularly controversial when it comes to that, that particular mosque. So what, what do you all think of this? Godfrey? Well, I think basically the problem we have, it, it all comes down to the um, walking away basically from our principles of English law, which have been developed over, one might argue, a thousand years. Um, and you have hate speech is a thought, is a thought speech, isn't it? Uh, and in a free society, um, 
you know, that doesn't stand up in law because somebody, somebody says, oh, I've been shocked and insulted because, uh, you know, somebody said they hate me. Um, that is not a matter for law. It's only a matter for law if you are inciting violence. Uh, you know, say, I hate Welshmen, so everybody needs to go out and find the nearest Welshman and duff him up. Well, that's illegal. But there's nothing illegal about saying, I hate Welshmen. Incidentally, I don't. Uh, but, I mean, you should be able to say that in a free society. I hate Welshmen or Scotsmen or Lancastrians in particular, as a Yorkshireman. Um, you can't really run a society uh, with this kind of law. And, of course, the first people who pick up on it are people who can abuse uh, this ridiculous law. And then, of course, you have a politicized police force, certainly at the top, uh, and police, uh, the junior policemen uh, in the main who haven't had the benefit of a traditional education uh, and aren't frightfully bright, who are very easily manipulated by their assistant commission or their operational officer, so on and so forth, uh, who are probably being fast-tracked from university and think accordingly. Uh, so you go shoot into being chief inspector, you know, and then you're not even started shaving yet. But that's the kind of police force that we have. And I've watched it happen over the last 10 years. 15 years, the politicization uh, of the police force, which is all quite deliberate. This is no accident. Mm. This is quite deliberate. So they can enforce, and when I say they, if you don't who th know who they are, you're very naive and stupid because they are now running the country. So it means that the World Economic Forum and their minions can now enforce lockdowns, jabs, uh, or, or hate speech, or uh, all this kind of thing that they do. And it's very interesting, if I may digress for just a moment, to see police behavior with Just Stop Oil blocking, blocking the roads and how they're treated and how people were treated when they were demonstrating against lockdown. Uh, there's, there's a, a, you see no real uh, desire to do anything about Just Stop Oil, and that comes from the top. That just doesn't you know, come from the bottom. That comes from the top. And this is what we're seeing almost now on a daily basis. And uh, I think that's... Uh, and, of course, people have completely and totally lost faith in the police. And once you lose faith, uh, a, a country like ours lose faith in the police, that's really a very serious matter indeed because that means we're just now like any other nation. We don't see the policemen as our protectors. We see them as an intimidatory force. May I add something here? Because I think that it is... Uh relevant. I think that to a degree this is understood and the category of hate crime is largely invented precisely to give a facade of the police doing something. Whereas in fact they are putting a lot of resources to things that are in crime. Not in the conventional sense anyway. Yes. I've actually spoke to quite a few police officers, both um, retired and current. And they say much the same thing as you do, that there's a lot of political pressure in the institutions to make them behave in certain ways. And anyone who resists will either be held down at a lower level and not uh, rise up the ranks. And of course, there's also the, the compounding effect of insisting on having a degree to be a police officer, which, of course, is a, a, a form of selection bias for a, a certain type of person. Of course, I mean, they are woke when they join the police. So they come out of and it's sad to say uh, the arm is the same. Uh, they generally recruit junior officers. Uh, from uh, universities now, almost, you know, right off the Richter scale. And you do not need a university degree to be a policeman or an army officer. Uh, in fact, I think it's a, it's a problem. It actually holds you back because uh, by the time you finish your university degree, you think woke. You've lost any concept of risk analysis or objectivity 
when you leave university. But I can't see the point of university education at all, least of all for a policeman or an army officer. And the complete I- waste of time. And the idea of the purpose of the police is to guard public safety, not just to say that we are representing Group X in the force. Exactly. And the whole concept under Robert Peel was the prevention of crime. The whole concept was there should be bobbies on the beat to prevent crime. That was the whole concept. And it was a concept up to relatively recently, maybe 30, 40 years ago. Uh, You are a citizen with powers of arrest and you are there to prevent crime. Uh, You're not there to be four of you in a car racing around the crimes already being uh, committed. That's not the point of a police force. But as I say, we have politicians, policemen, uh, soldiers, so on and so forth, who have not had the benefit of a traditional education, who couldn't give you the principles of English law, who couldn't have a meaningful conversation about law. Lawyers, I know lawyers who don't understand law. They earn big fees for conveyancing and doing all sorts of failing to abate a smoky chimney, but they don't think about the law. Okay. I'm just a quick thing. I'm I'm more concerned. Uh, I am obviously deeply concerned about those things, but I also think this manifests in a particular way, which gives off the aspect of a kind of self-governing Islamic community, where it has its own Sharia courts, and I assume it has some sort of internal mechanism to enforce the decisions, some sort of community mechanism to enforce these decisions. And then when you've got the police, of course, being partial in their application of hate crimes and hate speech laws and things like that, it strikes me that the police don't feel they have a moral authority to govern the Muslim community and to police them in the same way that they police the English community. Whereas, of course, you know, if, if, if a bunch of uh, football lads turned up protesting that something was going on, they would, I mean, you saw the other day where it's like anything that comes close to being hate speech. And it's like, it could be, you would never talk to the Muslim community that way. And I think it's because the police don't really feel that they are the police of that community. I think they view them as sort of a, a separate thing that they have to, hands off on. And that comes from police college. If you look at the, you know, police college, this is what they have been trained when they come out of police college. This is what they have been told. And this is how they, and you can't do this and you can't do that unless you phone up and get in touch with the local uh, Muslim community representative uh, who will then tell you what you can and can't do and where you can and can't go. Uh, No, it's not, I'm not blaming the, the police, particularly at junior levels. Um, as you quite rightly say, that you know, their career is over if they just say, "Oh, just a minute, uh, what about this or what about that?" No, they haven't got. They haven't got a prayer. Why anybody would join the police? I really don't. I don't know. I can't imagine why anybody would join the police. No, but um, you, you're certainly right, Carl, as well that they are treated with kid gloves, and I've heard firsthand that they basically apply a different set of laws to Islamic communities, which, ironically, um. You know, they're one of the few groups of people that are actually allowed communities in Britain anymore because uh, we certainly aren't. But um, the, the, the thing that kind of wound me up the most um, about this sort of area of, of political discourse is this next um, article from The Telegraph. It is worth mentioning as well. I have recently, um, if you go back, Jack, um, was very complimentary to um, The Telegraph because I was basically arguing that they were stealing our talking points in, in the best possible way, of course. Yeah. I don't mean it in a plagiaristic way i was pleased to see it and i was saying wow all of these things that we've been talking about the telegraph has all of a sudden started talking about finally and uh, then i saw this article um so this is from a fellow called hussein hussein um or hussein abdul hussein um good strong english name um islamism yeah, to be fair, is a- he could be called neville neville couldn't he <laughs> sorry that's just as amusing or peter for french 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 yeah <laughs> So Islamism is a failed ideology. Muslims must embrace the West. So from the title, that sounds 
I mean, this sounds like something that came out in 2009 or something, right? It does, yes. Good luck. Mm -hmm. But um, I believe this is an Iraqi gentleman. I think he's big in the the foreign policy world, um, particularly in the Middle East, one would assume. And um, I'm just going to read a little bit from this article because I think that um, he's added some sugar to the pill. And the pill, of course, contains progressivism. Yeah, and uh, he's used language of the right and is appealing to the Telegraph's sort of audience who might be um, conservative voters, maybe even reform, those sorts of people, uh, to insert these notions in quite cleverly, I think, that I think are factually wrong. And of course, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Okay. So it reads as follows. Growing up in Iraq and Lebanon, we took the, uh, looked at the West with awe. The West was ahead of the Arabs on many levels, including government, urban planning, social welfare, science, literature, technology, and military strength, which of course is true. In Lebanon, almost every child at school was taught three languages, English and French, in addition to our native Arabic. Parents talked to their children in these languages. We generally associated to success and wealth with speaking Western languages. Um, it carries on to say some other things about how the better you spoke these languages, um, the higher your status in these societies. And He says, during my years in the old homeland, the Arabs were in consensus over the need to emulate the West, but there was an obstacle. The West was Christian and we were Muslim. The Arabs therefore reasoned that they would copy everything from the West except social norms. We Muslims did not eat pork or drink alcohol. Intergender relations were strictly limited and monitored, and the collective tribal opinion um, always trumped the independent personal thinking. I think I misread that, but you get the gist. Um, So says, our westernized life copied consumerism but left out values such as liberty, freedom, and equality. The result was a society that was western on the outside but backwards and tribal on the inside. Our societies produced states that were, in our image, sovereign on the outside but failing on the inside. So what's implicit here is that you can emulate these economic things because, of course, what he listed off there are largely products of you know, the Industrial Revolution and our advanced economies relative to Global the Islamic world. Exactly, yes. But I think what is missed here is that the reason that it happened in the West and not elsewhere, that was because of our social norms. It didn't just come out of a vacuum. It wasn't like 2001, a space odyssey where a, a monolith came down and we just um, you know, had these things divinely there was no prof- in our head. Yes. Um, um, although one can somewhat understand why a Muslim might uh, interpret it in that way. Yeah. But you can't divorce these two things. You can't divorce our, our society from our economy because the two are so um, intermeshed with one another that they are inseparable. Sure. And, and so he's trying to argue that you can have a, an advanced economy without the society that we have now, implicitly here. And I, I think that's a very subversive thing to say because, of course, then. Um, it, it demeans the value of our culture, of our society, because, of course, your, your metrics for greatness, of course, you know, our, our culture can be viewed on its own terms, but also what it has led to. I mean, it's no mistake that the European powers were the colonial powers that we were able to. I mean, to. In, in his defense, there is a lot about our society that should change. Of course, so. yes. But um, the, the thing that I'm going to sort of skip forward to now is this. So he he goes on to say, this is towards the end, um, 
This is why um, Arab and Muslim immigrants in the West now endorse the most radical and conservative of Islamist ideologies. The same Arab and Muslim immigrants who left their homeland to flee tyranny and failing government are now cheering for the same tyrants that they left behind seeking better lives. And that latter, latter part is true. I mean, we touched on that yeah. before. However, are they fleeing tyranny and, and collapsing governments or are they coming to this country because we have a strong economy and they can make more money than their home country? But also because we're really soft touches. We are, yeah. yes. We also give, give people free handouts. But that's yeah. sort of the whole economic package. Isn't we're going to give your mosques half a million pounds a year at the, in the taxpayer's expense. So this is, is using the language of the British right, um, broadly speaking, to insert notions that are categorically untrue. I think that to, to argue that you know, they're just fleeing persecution, he's yeah. using the language of freedom um, to talk about people that don't conceive of it in that way, do they? They don't, well, they the, don't look at the world as totalitarian or not. You, you give um, Muslims a choice and they'll probably advocate for dictatorship. They'll vote for the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, there's a flip side, is there not, to, to the coin? I mean, that might have been true 50 years ago. I don't know that that's true now. We, the, the West now is, uh, is, is a secular society based on uh, what the, my institute, the Mises Institute, would call welfare warfare. Uh, we and, and credit. So consequently, uh, I would argue now that our culture and our society is at an all-time nadir. We, we are not better than anybody else. I would have argued maybe uh, years and years ago uh, that it was. Uh, you know, I believe there was a lot of good in the uh, British Empire. It was, broadly speaking, as empires go, uh, fairly... Uh, pragmatic uh, and, fairly, uh, and fairly good and, 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 and balanced, as, as say, as empires go. Uh, but now, uh, based on, on, on non-interference, I mean, it was a Christian empire. British Empire was the biggest empire the world's ever seen. It was, it was Christian. But we didn't interfere with other people's religion and the Indian subcontinent. We kept our nose out. We were quite happy. We were quite happy for you know, Hindus and Muslims uh, to do their own thing. So it was fairly uh, liberal in the English sense of the word. But I now think we are now so indebted, so addicted to warfare and welfare, uh, that I think we are ripe now for people bringing in another culture, however degraded that may be. But I mean, the Muslims actually believe that they have a system. I mean, our churches are empty. We have no moral compass. Uh, even our democracy is a sham now. You know. Put, uh, uh, our Houses of Parliament don't actually, our elected representatives in representative democracy don't actually stand up for anything uh, that we want. I haven't been into a single pub ever where everybody thought the government was doing a good job. For years, Anyone? decades and decades. Uh, everybody thinks it's ghastly. Uh, and this is, this is a problem that we have. So I would argue with this article, which I did read a number of times, um, it's like the curate's egg, good in parts. But uh, I think it's Perhaps if it had been written 30 years ago, it might have been a lot more right than it actually is today. I would certainly agree with you on that. But um, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that um, both in terms of dealing with law enforcement and our own government, as well as communicating ideas um, in our political discourse and you know, purportedly right-wing outlets like The Telegraph, uh, they are using language which is appealing to our English sensibilities to 
more or less subvert our understanding of the way things are going in, in their own favor. And I very much don't approve of this. And I think that actually more attention should be brought to this sort of thing because I think this is a very egregious mm. article um, concealed in language that um, might otherwise be appealing. And as you said, it might have been appropriate in the past, but this understanding is very far from the mark. Speaking of uh, culture and welfare, warfare, as you said, I think that uh, we can start a discussion about whether uh, Western cultures want to survive and whether they want to maintain their identity. And I want to say that a lot of people, especially young people, don't know what we celebrate on the 11th of November. And I don't know about you, but I think that one of the institutions that celebrates all year, basically the UN. So let's see what the UN celebrates. If we scroll down and we go... World Braille Day, I saw that. November, just November. They're basically having a... So ball almost ball every year. day of the year, they've got something. Yes. A so, day of hopping on one leg and rubbing your head oh, at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't help but notice that the 11th of November is weirdly absent. Oh, yeah, that's It's strange, absent. It? And you know what is present? 5th of November, World Tsunami Day Awareness. Yeah. 6th of November, International Day of Preventing, for preventing the Exploitation of the Environment in War and Armed Conflict. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, Men's Day is 19th of November. Oh, you know what the UN it's... celebrates? Oh, World Toilet Day. Yeah. So on my birthday, it's the day of prevention and healing from child sexual exploitation, abuse, and violence. That's uh, unfortunate. So it's a weird sort of collection of patron saints, isn't it? Yeah. And just to show the difference, the UN does celebrate uh, Women's Day on the 8th of March. So I think we should... International Mother Language Day. Yeah. So, World Day of Social Justice. Are you sure this hasn't been written by Monty Python? Or <laughs> it should have been, yeah. I think so. Anyway. Global Tourism Resilience Day. Tourism Resilience? What's no, that? I don't you, know. You go, go to Spain, it's 40 degrees. It's Zero really Discrimination Day. International Day of the Arabian Leopard. What? Well, well that, that, that is my favorite day. I mean, well, I like uh, Arabian Leopards as much as the next man, but the <laughs> entire day every year? That's been my favorite so far, to be honest. So I think we should talk about Armistice Day. And um, I've heard of it. It wasn't on the UN's <laughs> list. You yeah. know what you about. It's important that it is a day, whereas a lot of the things we talked previously about yeah. are months. Yeah. Like we had the Islamophobia Awareness Month that we talked in the previous Black segment. History Month. Exactly. It's it's you know, it's November's Trans Awareness Month. I've been reliably informed by Twitter. Oh great. Yeah. yeah. So basically it's Armistice Day. It was an agreement to end the fighting of World War I, which uh, preluded the peace negotiations. And as it says here, from the Royal British Legion, at the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month, we will remember them. And let us say something about Remembrance Sunday. It says here, Remembrance Sunday is a national opportunity to remember the service and sacrifice of all those that have defended their freedoms and protected our way of life. We remember the armed forces and their families from Britain and the Commonwealth, the vital role played by the emergency services and those who have lost their lives as a result of conflict or terrorism. So one thing you can say here is this is important to the British. Hmm. For the British community, this is important. My dad, my dad was a sergeant in the RF for 25 years. So every year we would have some of this. I'd be growing up on military camps. 
So every year we'd have, you know, these sorts of things plastered everywhere, which is fine. It's totally normal. You know, it's kind of mundane to me, actually. I think, yeah. It's just become apparent that this is just not what the British remember now. I think there is also Veterans Day in the US, I think. There is, yeah. I think oh, um, yeah. for people outside of the UK, I, I think people don't necessarily realize how significant this, this is culturally for us because I, I remember growing up and talking to my grandparents about what they did in the war. Um, all of them were involved in some way. And, you know, it, it was a point of immense pride that, you know, they actually did their bit for their country. And they, they spoke of, um, you know, our resilience with a certain amount of um, they would highlight the virtues to me and say, um, listen, you know, this sort is of what nostalgia, we do. right? Yeah. And it, it's also nice because, you know, you're, you're having a nice time where you're ha- being told a story by your grandparents. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that I think is, is kind of a soft spot. And I think that both World War One and World War Two are particular um, cultural touchstones, even to the modern day, of course, people reference figures in World War Two all the time as a, a reference point for politics, don't they? And I think that that's because of how much um, space it takes up in the public consciousness. How much the 20th century shaped Britain. Yeah, now. of course, yeah. Well, I, I obviously, as an ex-soldier, I, and I've never missed a, a day at the sun and a half, you know, once, once a year. Um, the thing that disappoints me, i tell you what the thing that disappoints me, it is, uh, you know, the anniversary of, uh, of the armistice, uh, which which is fine, and as, uh, that's as it should be. But it is uh, a memorial service. It isn't just celebrations. It's a memorial service, and it's called Remembrance. Now, the problem is we seem to have learnt nothing. We've learnt nothing. You would think with the horrific casualties, three million uh, of the British Empire alone in the Great War, over 300,000 uh, in uh, 1939-45, and including many from the Indian Army and the subcontinent who fought very bravely in Burma on the side of the, uh, of the British. Well, they were British, British Empire. I'm very proud they are too, I can tell you. I know many of them. But we've learned nothing. We seem to be rushing to a war every five minutes if we possibly can. We are such a warlike people. I mean, we, I know we carry on the tote tales of, of Washington, whatever Washington says goes, but we can't keep our neb end out. We couldn't keep our neb end out of a, uh, of a conflict in 19, uh, 1914, which was nothing whatsoever to do with us. We didn't get involved in the Franco-Prussian War. We didn't need to get involved in, uh, in, in 2014, but we've, we've already got special forces in the Ukraine. We're sending missiles to the Ukraine. Uh, we're sending uh, observers or whatever they are to the Israeli Palestine conflict, it's got nothing to do with us. That, as we're looking at that screen now, is what comes of it. Dead soldiers, dead young men, maimed young men, wounded young men, to no purpose. And my thesis when I graduated from the Royal College of Defence Studies was the futility of it all, the expense of it all. Can anybody tell me of a major war where anybody actually really won? Nobody gets anything from warfare. It's just a waste of waste of time and money and young men. It's it's terrible, and we don't seem to have learned anything. Very well said. And w- one thing that I want to say is that it is a bit tragic that it is just a day, whereas it should be the whole year, in a sense. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean that 
the ceremony should take place on a daily basis, but people in their behavior should act as if they have learned the lesson that you say they haven't. And anyway, I think that um, it's important to talk a bit about the history of the poppy. I think that you're a military historian, you know much better than I do about it, but from a kind of uh, research I did, uh, I think that the poppy is a symbol of remembrance. It grew and it was quite resilient in growing in the battlefields of the Western Front of World War I. And uh, there was a Canadian doctor called John McRae who lost his friend and he wrote a poem called In Flanders Fields. And then there is a kind of um, disagreement. I don't, know, I don't know what version you think is right, but who had the idea and who was influenced by that article, by that uh, poem. Was it uh, the poppy lady from France, Anna Guerin, or Moina Michael from America who had the idea that poppies should be sold as a symbol of remembrance in order to aid ex-servicemen and the families of those deceased? But I think that, in a sense, this is a really interesting and important tradition that it is a pity if it gets desecrated by people who disrespect it. Who, who might be interested in desecrating one of our few remaining sacred traditions? Well, there I ask. Well, and the question is whether there are also people from within yeah. Western cultures who yeah, want yeah, to yeah, I, I, Sort of like, is it called fifth column? Yep. Fifth yeah. columnist. Yes. Yeah. Because there are people in Western societies who hate their countries. Yep. Most of the people in our government hate this country and, uh, and it goes back to jim callahan jim callahan when he was prime minister he was a neighbor of ours he lived down the road would you believe uh and he didn't he used to go to armistice day and he didn't wear his medals he was a naval officer in the war and he didn't wear his medals and uh somebody actually said to him when he finished being prime ministers uh he said uh, somebody said to him um why didn't you wear uh, he was wearing his medals you know when he finished and he was wearing his medals and isn't it you made an interesting comment? He said, well, yes, I'm wearing my medals now because I'm only representing myself. And my father said, Jim, who were you representing before? Yeah. So this has been going on since the 70s. There's, uh, and we, of course, remember, you, probably, you won't, you're all too young to remember that, uh, what's his name, turned up, Michael Crossman, or is this, in a donkey jacket, because uh, he's you know, celebrating his fight against fashions, which he did from a desk at the Evening Standard. Uh, so, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, these people just, they just don't like us. They, they don't like, and they're our government. I mean, we know the French don't like us, <laughs> but whatever, our government's full of people who hate us, hate our traditions. Uh, and, um, we seem to, we seem to just roll over, don't we? As a nation, we just seem to roll over. But there is an extra element into it, I would say, because on the one hand, there is a financial issue that has to do with aiding veterans and their families. But on the other, is, there is also a cultural issue. But I think that we, we, should, we, we should focus a lot on this. I think that's important because it shows the least amount of gratitude that people can show to people who lost their lives and fought for a lot of the institutions that we take for granted. And certainly the people you say hate their countries take for granted. Because I'm sure that they wouldn't like living in different kind of societies, especially maybe they, they, if they thought that they could get away with it and strike a particular kind of deal, maybe, yes. They've been too comfortable for too long and they don't know what it's like to be afraid. Yeah. So 
105 years afterwards, let's see this. Council cancels Remembrance Day parade over health and safety concerns. Oh. Barrytown Council said it was saddened to have the, to cancel the parade. Now, what sort of reasons do you think they they cited? Well, well apparently health and safety. Yeah, that's very Python esque, isn't it? Yeah. You know, remembering people losing their lives. Oh, we're a bit afraid that you know oh, the oh. health and safety at a parade. Okay. And parades known for their high body counts. What? And. They say an incident occurred at the Remembrance Sunday Parade in Studley in 2018, where an army veteran suffered serious head injuries when he was hit by a car while marshalling the parade. So there was an accident five years ago. Mm. So the parade this year has to be cancelled. That seems like an excuse to my mind, doesn't it? And no one can just say that let's close the road just for the parade. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it Let's gets done call all the it time, up. doesn't it? In, in lots of different places, they're, they're more than happy to close off roads for a parade. And I think, you know, for Remembrance Sunday, or Armistice Day, sorry, um, then that would be a very, very good reason for it, isn't it? It's something that everyone recognizes, well, most people recognize as being a good thing if they're British. I think if you found, if you dug down a little bit, if there were any such thing these days as investigative journalists, which of course there aren't, you would find at Barry Town Council the normal lineup of very suspicious British hating people that have used health and safety to get rid of this. Ah, it wouldn't. I bet if I phoned up and I knew anybody in Barry Town, Town Council uh, or, or somebody who lived in and around there, they'd be able to tell us straight away, oh, yeah, that's Red Ken. He doesn't want the thing to go ahead and he's calling the shots. It will also, I would imagine, uh, be almost 100% Labour. Um, I'm just looking that up now, actually. Yeah, I, it'll be. I, I'd be very surprised if it isn't 100% Labour, and, uh, and and with all the baggage that that goes. And I wouldn't mind betting also in Barry Town Council, the turnout to vote is probably only about 25%. So they don't even represent anybody. It's. Uh, I'm looking at all the councillors now. The neck I'm out curious now. I, I really hope this pans out. It's all all Plaid Cymru and oh. Labour. They're bad. That's even yeah. worse. You know, <laughs> Christ, Labour are bad enough. I saw one Conservative councillor, um, yeah. just from my cursory look. Oh no, there's two out so, of so about thirty. Literally, the most anti-British parties you could have in the Welsh government. And the, have you got the turnout there? So I, I bet it's right about. I'll have a quick look. Yeah. Um, I bet it's atrocious. I'm enough. quite surprised because it's not like the Welsh weren't involved. Yeah, no, no, well, the wonderful memorial uh, at Mamet's Wood, of course, uh, uh, on the Somme. Uh, very brave regiments, the Welsh fought. And, and, and I, I know Wales, I know Welshmen. But if you want to go to, I have actually, it was at St. Asaph about five years ago because I had to be in Wales and I went to the memorial service at the cathedral. You want to hear the voices raised, uh, you know, at, at, at the end of it, at the end of the thing. Uh, absolutely moving. Moving, so moving, yeah. There's no shortage of patriotism in Wales. They just, they just vote in these appalling people. Drakeford, I mean, uh, where did they it, dig him up from? It's it's because they call themselves Welsh nationalists. It's it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. So let us go to London. It says here, pro-Palestine activists planning million-strong march to disrupt Remembrance Day. Just. Show you these. Is that their explicit intention to disrupt it, or is it just? Uh, well, why would you otherwise? I, well, I why, why would so, you do yeah. it the day before, the day after? I'm just curious yeah. as to their, you know, what they've no, I'm explicitly. Not, I'm, um, no, I, I'm beyond giving these people the benefit of the doubt, right? I, I'm not doing e- that. Every year, this is the national holiday mm-hmm. on the 11th of November. 
You're like, yeah, we're going to have a march. No, no, you did that deliberately and you knew what you did. And yeah. And it says the Palestine Solidarity Campaign with another organization, they are calling for a million march for Palestine. And it says that the group plans to hold one of its dozens of protests this weekend, just a few hundred meters from the cenotaph commemorating the UK's war dead. Should just be forbidden. Mind you, hey, there's always an upside. The upside is that is this going to just slowly wake up the people that have uh, what has happened in the last 10 years? Will people start looking at this and go, crikey, you know, how many of these people are here? And there's a, an, a, an irony also that the streets seem can be commanded by uh, these people who, have, who are there in their millions or could be there in their millions because there are millions of them. But of course, then you ask yourself again where the real power is. Is it on the street or in the banking system uh, or people that we don't know, people, oligarchs that we can't see? Uh, and I don't know whether you saw the clip the other day of um, the Pope kissing Nat Rothschild's hand. Uh, bowing. I, it, yeah. I saw it and I thought, now, you know, it's interesting <laughs> who, runs, who runs this country. One thing is sure, it's not us. Have you seen the uh, image? Uh, I think it's one of the, the Rothschilds um, poking his finger into Prince Charles' chest. Yeah. Yep. It tells you all you need to know. So the Metropolitan Police uh, had an announcement. It says, we're aware of media reporting and social media commentary suggesting next weekend's remembrance events could be disrupted by protest. As we set out in the update below, we will do everything in our power to ensure this does not happen. What's the advice from Barry Town Council? I mean, the mayor of London could just say, <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to find out the turnout. Cancel it. No, no, yeah, the thing is, to protest in London, you've got to get permits, right? As in, if you want to go and protest outside of Parliament, you've got to get a permit. So if someone has stamped off that permit, the mayor of London could just say, no, you're not having that permit on that day. <laughs> now, well, yeah, yeah, there yeah, might yeah, be a reason mind. why um, Mr. Khan would not be interested in preventing that protest or respecting British traditions, but, you know. I think without the uh, a sufficient police presence there. It's going to be a, a bloodbath, isn't it? I, I don't know, and I, I don't want to. I hope it isn't. Yeah, sure I've got that. a feeling this. I could be egg on face here, but I've got a feeling this could be a non-event, a damp squib, yeah. because I, I think so. This, yeah. if that goes ahead, they they're not stupid. They make mistake. These people are stupid. They know if they really want to turn people away, ordinary people. Uh, who might be feeling very sympathetic at the moment to the Palestinian cause, uh, if they want to turn that off, that will go ahead, which again begs the question then, who's really behind it? Who's the power behind the throne letting this happen, one wonders? Because that will certainly turn people off the Palestinian cause, which at the moment is getting a lot of sympathy. Here we see the call to march, the million march for Palestine, London, Let's make this the biggest march in history. They're saying Saturday, 11th of November. You see? And we have here the socialist uh, Shelley Asquith saying dozens of British-Palestinian children led the half-million-strong march in London yesterday. Those who seek to paint them as anything other than a symbol of hope for freedom and justice are cruel beyond belief. It's not like the Palestinians yeah. to use children as human shields, is it? Yeah, and let's just, uh, I'll just let this play here a bit to look at the, the treatment, let's say, of yeah. the monuments, to put it 
it says don't let the cenotaph be next. That, that, we can just have a chat now while we're looking at the. Yeah, I mean that's they've done this multiple times. One, someone from Black Lives Matter tried to burn one of the British flags on there. Yeah, I'm just don't so tolerating these people. But the, mm. there's a question when they're talking about freedom and justice and whatever. What do they have in mind? Because you know, I, I don't I don't believe them. That's yeah, well, I don't, they're not not worthy of being believed. Yeah, their justice is their power. I'm that's not, it. I'm not sure if you're going to touch on this, but what this calls to mind is our discussion um, about um, Popper's paradox of tolerance, which is basically um, a, a brief addendum in his um, Open Society and Its Enemies, talking about, well, if you, if you tolerate people who are going to use your, your tolerance against you, then it's going to destroy your society, more or less, which, yeah. I mean, this is what's going on, right? Exactly. And th there's a question to be had as to why is this being allowed it's basically the question you asked before That's so anti-british forces are abroad in this country and they're in control of the government and the police and the media and there's just no getting around that at this point and i think the same is for other western societies as well because the left is operating in an internationalist way let's say they don't have national consciousness they think national consciousness is basically the worst atavism possible. Mm. And I'll just tell my Greek compatriots, think of what would happen if something like that happened on 20, the 25th of March. Just, just, I'm just asking. Anyway, so we have this tweet from Douglas Murray. It says, UK Hamas supporters are now planning a million march on Remembrance Day. They plan to defame our war dead and desecrate the cenotaph itself. This is the tipping point. If such a march goes ahead, then the people of Britain must come out and stop these barbarians. Um, I don't encourage anyone to go to anything, nor do I discourage. We are neutral on this subject. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I think that to a very large extent, a lot of people are forgetting their, uh, the, the basic values of Western societies. Yep. And they sort of feel a kind of shame and I think that it is a really important thing if we start uh, feeling less shame about our societies across the West and start thinking that we should, we have something good going on and something worth um, preserving. So I've arrived at the position of just pig headed national chauvinism at this point. Exactly. I think not even listening to their arguments anymore. I think calls like Douglas Murray's here. I mean, I, I do appreciate his work, but he's basically luring people into a bit of a trap there because yeah. you know, if yeah. if there is something going on in in London, then the law is going to be selectively applied to people there for Armistice Day rather than the, the Palestinians, and so it's just going to be a good way of getting in trouble. You need to be a little bit suspicious of Douglas Murray if you don't mind. I'll say no more about it. Okay. Not okay. always quite what he seems. I'm pointing both sides. Well. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, so just one thing to end. If you want to support us, you can subscribe to our website for £5 a month and watch uh, all our premium content, such as the latest symposium I did on the semantics, politics, and value of freedom. Speaking of uh, values that we need to reaffirm. Okay. So... I thought we would talk about the new Marks and Spencer's Christmas advert. Now, it's not quite as important as what we've already covered, but I actually think there is something to be learned from this about the current state of the country at large. Uh, because these sort of Christmas adverts, they, they, the supermarkets produce their own sort of very well-crafted, high-quality Christmas advert. It becomes a bit of a thing 
where normal society sees these, normal people see these on the television or whatever they're watching. And so it is something that matters, weirdly enough, to anyone who's outside I, of the country. I, it's like, why would this matter? It, it kind of is an event. I find so, it quite frustrating, really, because I, I can never get over the fact that it's an advert trying to sell you a product. And then I yeah. hear people saying, oh, have you seen such and such's new advert? And it's like, well, why would I willingly watch an advert? Yeah, well, the thing is, again, it, we'll watch this. So this is Marks and Spencer's first one they put out. And it's quite traditional and, you know, everything looks very normal and Christmassy. And, you know, it's little anime glove puppets and whatnot. The, you know, and so it's, it's very inoffensive. Right. This is a totally normal sort of, you know, TV Christmas advert that represents the right things about Christmas. It's homely, it's warm, it's you know, it's cold outside, but it's warm inside and everyone's jolly and happy to be in the Christmas spirit. Right. I think in, in a word that you would describe them as wholesome. Perhaps. Sure, yeah. It's yeah, much much more wholesome, sort of kid friendly advert, right? And this came out a day ago and no one noticed, right? But then the next day Marks and Spencer's released this advert, which is a different advert, a different kind of advert. I figured we'd watch this. It's only a minute 20 long. And it was not a lot longer than the average advert, obviously, because these aren't just adverts. They're kind of a kind of statement of intent. We'll watch it. Unintentionally uh, said their slogan there. This isn't just any advert. This is <laughs> sad. Well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> well picked up. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I don't, I don't watch TV. You know it's true and that's a fact Oh, I will do anything for love Oh, I will do anything for love But I won't do that No Christmas, do only what you love. Right, so can I get your first impressions of that advert? Uh, well, it's appalling on almost every level, right? isn't it? Why <laughs> why did they did did they go to the advertising agency who ran this MS advert, which is a big contract, let's be honest. Yes. It's a very big uh, contract for an advertiser, and they say, "We want to make an advert for people who hate Christmas." Is there anybody in your organisation who can do an advert that shows how much we all hate <laughs> Christmas? And we're going to kick Santa Claus off. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, and we're going to completely get everybody hating it uh, because. Uh, and then I don't know why. Why, why is the, where's the product? You know, where's the product? What were we supposed to buy at the end of this advert? You know. Marks and Spencer's Christmas pudding, mince pies. No, it was just a whole, whatever it was, 28 seconds of people who hate Christmas, some of whom apparently are celebrities, don't recognize any of them personally. What is the point of the advert other than to annoy us? 
that's the point, isn't it? Mm. Like, there's the, the, exactly right. That's why this is more. This is not just an advert. This is an attack. This is a message. This is a representation of how they think reality should be. And I, I just thought we'd go through it very briefly. Right? So we've got here the sort of divorced single mother. It <laughs> is because in the end, you see her daughter, but you never see her husband. So I'm going to take that she's divorced. Um, then you've got the gay Indian guy. Um, just very strange choice of character. But notice how well to do they all seem to be. Right, mm. well, they're it, desperately middle class. I, I, this could be a Waitrose advert, couldn't it? Let's be frank. It absolutely could, yeah. And like, so they they live. It, this is kind of the the London socialite scene is being represented here, right? So um, let's go on, right? So yeah, then we've got a single woman who's trying to toast marshmallows on. I don't very, believe she made that herself. No, I don't believe that either. <laughs> um, and so th- these are these are the things that are being represented: a divorced woman a 40-something-year-old singleton and a gay Indian guy. Am I the only one who thinks all of them are incredibly sad? Yeah, they, they are. They look sad to me. They are, but like... Well, they would be, wouldn't they? It's Christmas and they hate Christmas. They've got everything in there except somebody snorting coke. <laughs> well, the, the, Do whatever and, you want to do. Or, <laughs> a lot of them don't have a family as well, well the, the, And the only family we see represented is um, a Caribbean one. Who will probably who probably know much more about the spirit of Christmas than anybody else in the advert. They'll be Baptist probably, and they shouldn't even be in the movie. But the the thing is they actually, you see actually have children represented and an old person there on the left. Right. But they also have their Christmas trees and they're not burning anything. Like they're all actually enjoying being in each other's company. Like a normal family is at Christmas. Right. But for all of these weird singletons, we get the, the evil eyes. Oh, let's set, Set cards on fire. So, well, are they somebody else's Christmas cards? No, no, they're her Christmas cards that she's. Well, who to... sent them to her? Because she's ghastly. No, 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 no. She's going to be sending them to other people, right? But instead of sending them oh, to other people, I didn't get that one. She said, "Well, they're all the same card, right?" So yeah, she's obviously okay, got, got clever fella. Cards, yeah, right? you're ahead of me. Uh, so she she's setting them on fire. So what what does that mean, though? Right? Because you send a Christmas card to someone to reinforce your relationship with them. So no, I'm thinking of you at this time. And so, okay, what she don't know, I'm not going to think of anyone but myself. And it's like, look, you're a 50-year-old single woman. Have you not thought of yourself enough? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's literally no thought for anyone else. No, I'm going to burn it. Like, and that's dramatic imagery. It could know. be advert for sprinklers, perhaps, in it, a minute. I it, don't know if it went Like, on. she could just put them in the bin. It could just be dumped in the bin. Like, no, no, no. We're going to set this on fire, right? The tradition of keeping in contact with friends and family that you aren't in the presence of, set that on fire is what we're being told. So, right, so we're going to, a time on a tradition. We're going to throw that. We're going to burn that, right? Okay. So what? What? What have we got now? Oh yeah, we've got the the triumphal look of her. By the way. Oh, well done. Well it's, done. It's a very subversive um, representation of a destruction of sentiment. Isn't Unbelievably it, subversive, and that's exactly right. It's the destruction of sentiment. No, no, make it all about you because again, as if there's one thing that this kind of person hasn't made enough about, it's about themselves, right? And so you've got the uh, divorced mother. She's desperately trying to make the snowman. Um, oh, it's just, oh, it's just getting my wine. You know, I have to do, I have to just, uh, I have to give this up. And then you've got the, uh, the gay chap obviously is at his party with his socialite friends and they're all having fun and playing games. Like, no, actually, I don't want you having fun at the party that I'm clearly hosting at my house. I'm going to, th- <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't want to play this game. Yeah, great. No, that means you're not allowed to play the game either. I'm going to throw it in the fish tank. And, uh, somehow I'm happy with this this is good i'm somehow a good and important person now it's disgusting absolutely disgusting it's so disrespectful 
as if this is a person to aspire to, but of course that's what they're being portrayed as. Um, and yeah, then you've got uh, this woman who apparently is very tired of the toys and decorations, so she fucks out, but she's not at least ruining it in front of her family. You, of course, have her throwing... Um, well, actually, that's it. so there's, a, there's an interesting bit here, but the, she was originally throwing the party hats into the fire. Again, tradition, you pull a cracker, you get a party hat out. My wife makes me wear the party hat. I don't like them, but okay, I do it anyway. But instead, she's like, nope, I'm going to throw it into the fire, throw all of the decorations into the wood chip because doing things for other people, like her children in the house, that's just too much goddamn work. You know what? No. I mean, this, this was called love thismus, not thatmus, as in do it for, do it for yourself because if there's one That's thing terrible. we don't have in this, in this society at the moment is people being so self-absorbed. I think this could unintentionally be a very clever advert for Marks and Spencer's brand wood chippers, bats, and blowtorches. But... No, I think it's, a, if anything, a very clever advert by their opposition to make you not of want course. to go to Marks and Spencer. This is the kind of person that shops at Marks and Spencer. Okay, great. I'm going, yeah. I'm going to Iceland. I used to shop there. Yeah. Like, oh, it's little for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a- anywhere else that doesn't do this, I'm going to go to, right? So um, so I thought we'd talk about just... Um, there we go. So this is their rationale for this. That This came out just before the controversy, right? So Anna Braithwaite, the clothing and home marketing director at Marks and Spencer's, Anna Braithwaite. Hmm. I feel that she was probably accurately represented in the advert. So she said the company had made the ad for a similar budget last year, and the change of tack reflected customer research, which indicated a desire to just relax and switch off over, over, over Christmas after a tough year. There's a lot of pressure on people with higher interest rates and mortgage payments, and everyone feels the pinch. But our customers absolutely love Christmas, and they just want to protect it. So you made a video of rich people destroying Christmas. That's like the worst thing they could have possibly done. It's the actual opposite of what their market research told them. I know. It's quite extraordinary. Just, yeah, they, they did everything but bar humbug, didn't they, yeah. in that? Everything <laughs> but bar humbug. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, little kid, the tiny Tim, you know, Mom! like, you know, that's the only thing missing. Like a genuine sort of, they've they've taken the Scrooge position, the 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 villain, the antagonist in Dickens's Christmas Carol, and made them the heroes. What? Why is Auntie Jane uh, on the roof? Yeah, she's <laughs> destroying Christmas. Just be quiet, child. You know what's missing from that is a Marks and Spencer's executive taking the pennies off of someone's eyes, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically, uh, yes. Right. Oh dear, again, dear, just dear. of all the things, like okay, yeah, everyone's feeling the pinch because everything's become more expensive and everyone's struggling. Yeah, so we've got the richest, most spoiled people that we can find, and we're going to make them denigrate your Christmas because you absolutely love it and want to protect it. Absolutely preposterous. May I? May, I don't want you guys to think about this. Our Waitrose, Sainsbury's, and everybody else suddenly emergency having mi- midnight meetings to withdraw the adverts they've done on the same thing. Well, I mean, if they. My God, who's going to. Let's look at it again. If they were clever, they'd be like, look, we need an advert out in two days. And it's going to be the most wholesome Christmassy thing. Yeah. Santa Claus is going That's to deliver all do, the presents. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a massive turkey. You know, it'll be a, a poor indigenous British family. And they're going to they're going to get together and they're going to be like, this is amazing. Thank you, Waitrose or Iceland or Tesco. You could whatever. really, you need. You will clean up. You would, wouldn't you? Right? Get fronted by Ricky Gervais or something yes, like that. Yeah, 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 don't go to Mars. They hate you. <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson or someone like that. Yeah. yeah. Even better. You know, and, and so. I'm like, still, oh, sorry. Sorry, no, go on. 
I'm still not convinced that the, the marketing department for Marks and Spencers hasn't been infiltrated by Waitrose or one of their competitors. It's, it's a very, it's, it's a very good hypothesis. Mm. I, I, I would suggest that anyone with the name Anna Braithwaite uh, mm. actually doesn't need 4D chess and is just living their authentic life, <laughs> not which is represented serious. by that woman there. Yes. Um, anyway, so you would think that actually the anti-British nature, anti-Christmas nature, again, one of one of the few sacred times of the year that we actually have left, right? Even though Christmas, of course, heavily commercialized, blah, blah, blah. It's still got the underlying essence of this is when the British get together with their families and spend time with each other and show each other they love each other. So you would think that would be a cause for outrage. You know, people are like, hang on a second. What are you doing? Why are you, why are you trying to encourage these childless singletons and divorced mothers to burn their Christmas? and be all about themselves. That's they missed beating up grandma. They missed a <laughs> trick. <laughs> Instead, that wasn't the outrage about this, right? Apparently the British public didn't care and everyone was just like, yeah, well, you know, we've been dumped on every single day in every single way and every other time, as we've shown earlier on the podcast. No, the outrage was because, and they had to clip this out so you didn't see this while watching it, but apparently um, there was a Palestinian flag in it and it got burned in the fireplace. Now, I'm going to, they've got an image here. There isn't a Palestinian flag. Oh, yeah. The, the hats that have come in those colors for such a long time. Silver is not on the Palestinian flag. No. So this advert was filmed in August before the Hamas attack on Israel. And obviously, this is the woman takes the things off her head and throws them into the fire. It's like, great. So none of that was offensive. It was only offensive because it vaguely resembled the colors of a Palestinian flag. And that's the current thing right now. Let me ask you something. Were Italians offended? Well, exactly. It's a lot more like an Italian. Flag. Or no, Mexicans. Zero Mexicans or Italians. Zero Mexicans. Has. It kind of looks like the colors of the Palestinian flag, though. Palestine and has now trademarked those colors. <laughs> They're the only country that's allowed to use them. Apparently. I mean, like, Mark Spencer's like, no, we were trying to dump on Britain. We didn't need to dump on Palestine. <laughs> yeah, what you was good? Like, we're so sorry. Like, it was collateral damage, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Literally, we didn't know this was going to be the current thing when we filmed the the advert. You know, we thought it was totally safe to burn British Christmas, <laughs> Palestinian. Oh no, we must do that. It's unbelievable how this country is, and this is just another just accurate representation in a microcosm of all of the problems of this country. I don't give a damn if that was a Palestinian flag. You know, I'd be like, okay, that's a weird political thing to insert. Yeah, I why would they add that in but, the yeah, first place? Yeah. yeah, but they wouldn't, obviously. But it'd be like, even if it was, I'd be like, okay, that's that's weird. But I really have a problem with your attacking Christmas because I, I don't care about Israel or Palestine. You know, but like, it's just what are we doing as an entire civilization? And this is again, these these Christmas adverts provide a kind of snapshot of where the country is at, and are trying to represent essentially role models. You know, which is why the only family you got to see was a Caribbean. You know, they're the only people who get to have wholesome role models on TV anymore. But of course, Marks and Spencer put out a groveling, groveling apology to the Palestinian activists. Uh, today, we shared an outtake image from a Christmas clothing and home advert that was recorded in August. It showed traditional, festive, red and green and silver Christmas pa paper party hats and a fire grate. That sentence, it showed traditional, festive, red, red green and silver paper hats and a fire grate. Yeah, that's the problem. You were literally burning the tradition. And you're like, sorry, no, no, no. We were just burning the tradition. We weren't, we weren't attacking Palestine. We're so sorry for any hurt, in, unintentional hurt caused. We're not sorry for the intentional hurt. That was on purpose. Like, we did all of this on purpose. 
We didn't know that Palestine would be the current thing. Has Hamas released a statement about Marks and Spencer's <laughs> yeah. yet? Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. But as you can see, the replies being like, oh, I can't believe you're burning the Palestinian flag. And it's just like... I think it was a good, clever get-out, actually, in some way. Is it, how on earth do we dig ourselves out of this hole? Uh, let's apologize to Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, you're quite like, say, Mexico. You know, why not Mexico? Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah I mean, there, there are people like, this entire thing was a vile attack on English culture, but sure, use that as the excuse to pull it. You know, it's clever because it took the focus right away from the real truth of the matter. Yeah. That yeah. that is a disgusting advert. But at least, as you can see, the people in the replies, they at least get it. Like, sorry, what are you doing? You're attacking our culture and you're apologizing to the Palestinians for a tangential apparent reference, which obviously wasn't there. Unbelievable. But, uh, but anyway, so just to finish this off, we, we were talking about role models on the Lads Hour yesterday, which was a really, uh, no, sorry. Yeah, no, it was yesterday. Uh, which is a really good episode because it's not just, of course, British role models. It's role models for young men. Role models everywhere are being deliberately denigrated. And one thing that came out of this I thought was really interesting is how Zoomers look at male role models. The Zoomer, I, I don't know about yourself, but like when I was growing up, the traditional male role model was a conquering hero, right? The hero wins, he gets the girl, and he rides off into the sunset. That's the point. The Zoomer male role model is encapsulated in, um, what's that guy's name? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, right? is the noble loser. He loses and just has to endure the loss. And that was, that's what's been internalized by the guys in their 20s, whereas I'm in my 40s. And so I'm like, why the hell would you celebrate that guy? You know, but that's what their culture is now. And it's the same sort of thing that is happening with this advert. You know, it's like internalized, your, your culture has been destroyed and it's been lost, it's been burned, and you just have to be the noble loser at this point. Yeah, and is. I'm sorry, I'm not a noble loser. I'm a really terrible loser. <laughs> I don't think that she's a noble loser because she seems quite happy that the cult tradition is being eroded. Sure, she, she's not part of the traditional British culture, as she's yeah. showing here. Okay. She doesn't have a family. She doesn't care about So that. does she think she's a loser? No, no. She's, the, she's part of the winning team. Yeah. But we, the people, the traditional people of Britain, yeah. have got to sit there and just go, yeah, no, we're going to be noble losers about it. And this is, like, I didn't even know before we started doing this lads out, this was the mindset of the, the, the Zoomers, the younger millennials. Like, it just, but it totally is. I'm just like, right, okay, well, we have to change that completely, don't we? You know, I'm not having this noble loser attitude. I'm completely and utterly out of my depth. My hero was Freddie Truman and Peter May. I have no idea who they are. <laughs> exactly. Both those 1950s cricketers. Um, but did they win? No, they did a lot of winning. Good. Some losing, yeah, but I mean, fiery Fred. Truman was uh, a, a, every, every boy's hero, the fast bowler. He was but, a demon, but I knew him personally, top bloke. At the end of their stories, were they considered to be losers or winners? Winners. Of course. The Zoomers, Ryan Gosling, he loses everything. He, he's the loser in every film. I'm but sorry, what's a, can somebody explain Zoomer? I'm, uh, yeah, the Zoomer? younger generation, 25 and younger. Okay. Um, they, their male heroes are just people who stoically accept their own loss. Whereas that, to me, is just not a good I ideal for anything. And this is essentially what is being portrayed to us in this. It's just, no, you just have to accept that these people get to burn your traditions. They get to burn your, your they get to make you a loser, burn your traditions. It's all this degeneration and denigration of what it is to be ourselves. And I'm very tired of it, and I'm not having any of it. How I feel. Should we go to some of the comments? Yeah. Okay, so for the, my segment, um, 
Lord Nerevar says, a small part of me wishes I could be at the Cenotaph next week, the part that wishes for honour and duty to defend my country. Just a small part, but it's there. That's nice to hear. Um, Biggie Bigfoot, um, <laughs> interesting name. Um, when the inevitable terrorist attack happens, and it happens, um, it will happen sooner rather than later, how would you suppose the woke pro-Palestine um, will react? Surely that will put them between a rock and a hard place. Um, they, they will say it's self-defense, like they did with Hamas attacking Israel in the first place. It would be a difficult sell, though, um, considering we're <laughs> well, not really involved. You'd think that Hamas like butchering a bunch of Israeli party guys would be a difficult sell, but apparently it wasn't. So Yeah, well, also those people are out of their mind, aren't they? Yeah. So, um, Ethelstan95, um, I think it's scary how even seemingly moderates are appearing to become radicalized. I thought um, Majid Nawaz was an English liberal and a Muslim, but he's now talking about the Ummah and the black flag defending his former organization and the Met Police's use of the word jihad. There is a religious doctrine called Takiyah in which it is a duty to lie to non-believers to advance the cause. I wonder how much manipulation is going on. I think um, I did some digging into Takiyah actually, and it's the, I, I forget which um, Islamic sect. Uh, isn't it Shia? It's one of the two, isn't it? So, you, yeah, and that is to avoid persecution. Yeah. Um, so it's got a very specific usage. Um, I'm not, you know, trying I, to defend I, them. I, well, it is possible that some people are just bad specifically in the case of Majin Nawaz. I think I don't think he's been advocating. I think he's trying to enlighten. As in, when there's a black flag raised over a particular mosque, this means something significant. I saw a tweet from him. I don't think he's in favor of it. Uh, I think he's just trying to warn us, actually. I haven't actually seen any of it, but I can, well, I go, can believe it. Go look it, on yeah. his Twitter feed. It, mm -hmm. it, like, it was in, instructive. I didn't, I didn't take from it that he's in favor of these things. I took from it that he's warning us of these things. Okay, as in he's you, trying you to translate yeah, to yeah. people who wouldn't otherwise yeah, know. Yeah, Westerners don't know this, but that's important. So, Citizen philosopher Detroit. Um, the religion of Islam as a whole has a mindset towards conquest as a sort of evangelism by the blade. To anyone not deeply entrenched by the leftist paradigm, it's fairly obvious that our institutions have a weakness towards cry-bullying. Um, that's perfectly true, yes. Um, it only makes sense to the supposed evangelical Muslim pretend to be offended and the white people will conquer themselves for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's undeniable at this point, isn't it? What more is to be said on that? Hmm. So Kevin Fox says, since October the 7th, Islamophobic hate crime is up 140%, anti-Semitic hate crime is up 1,395%, and yet we still um, we have Islamophobia Awareness Month, um, Muslims playing the victim card to police whilst kicking seven bells out of a rabbi again. Um, yes, that is a good point, that I think the exchange between the two there is not proportionate at all. Is no. It? But the numbers aren't proportional. Well, but it, it, I was just going to say, if you look at the number of, uh, I don't know about America, but I know that there are significantly fewer Jews in this country than there are Muslims. Significantly fewer. So that would probably translate into what is actually a ridiculous non-crime non anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I, it's all nonsense. And there are significantly fewer Welshmen in this country than there are Muslims. There are more Muslims in this country than Welshmen. 
Oh, then, uh, oh, when yeah. you put it like that, though, it's there are three horrifying. three million yeah. Welshmen. Yes, well, there would be, there would be, wouldn't they? Why, mm. why would you leave the lovely Welsh valleys apart from Drakeford in Cardiff or be- the people in Barry? But the people in Mid Wales, North Wales, you you wouldn't leave, would you? I wouldn't leave. Well, that's, isn't that just crazy? Though there are more Muslims in England than Welshmen are in Wales. I'd much rather the Welshmen. I've never well, met yeah, a Welshman that hasn't been nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 obviously. But like, why should that be the case? Why should there be more Muslims in Britain than the Welsh? Just it, it strikes me as it is. I have to say that it's pretty extraordinary. Isn't it? mm. Jakob Bogdanov. Um, it's blindingly obvious this whole Islamophobia awareness circus is trying to salvage Muslim voters' support lost due to um, unanimous support of Israel in conflict with Palestine. Assuming it wasn't already pre-planned, as in we don't have a month, a yearly thing on it. Probably, yeah. I, I'm. I don't know how old the Islamophobia awareness month no, I is. I also don't want to take it seriously because yeah. it's also just a silly day, and as Stelios showed Silly us. Silly days that we should have spent time on. Again, yeah. I'm, I'm really doing my best to make people aware that this should be Islamophobic. Like, mm-hmm. I've, I've only got one podcast. <laughs> I don't know what more I can do. Spent the three years working for you, doing my best, Carl. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> We've got a great team, but again, it's just one, one institution. Mm-hmm. Andrew Narog, um, the Muslims definitely know our weakness and its weakness and lack of integrity of our media class. For one, I heard um, NPR, the US public radio, refer to Hezbollah as just a Lebanese militia group with zero mention of the fact they're a designated terrorist organization. The mainstream media is naught but spineless snakes. Should we go on to the next? Uh, yes, I was about to say. Okay. HR Slave, my granddad served in World War II. He lost nearly his entire unit in Normandy, barely making it back himself. I'll always remember how even well into his 90s, he always made the effort to go down to the cenotaph and pay his respects. It breaks my heart to think about how far we have fallen given how much men like him sacrificed for this country. Uh, Zombie Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. (laughs) This is a great name. Zombie Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, throwing racist slurs from beyond the grave, says. A lot of... (laughs) Is that his full name? That's the well. That's yeah, the full title of the commentary. Yeah. Oh, a lot of all of these cancellations of our country's days is just labor councils trying to tear its values. In Manchester, they've cancelled bonfire events across the area, citing lack of fans. Yet they spend thousands of pounds of event on events on diversity. Let's also not forget that November fifth is celebration of the royal family, quashing a Republican assassination, and labor voter votes are notoriously Republican. Kevin Fox, the poppy brought out the most poignant piece of TV, the BBC, before it became bias ever showed. The final episode of Blackadder goes forth. Have you seen that, Stelios? I've watched uh, some parts of Blackadder. I don't remember the, the, the what, specific what, one. What, one. One thing that'd be worth watching to get a feel on how um, people of my sort of era understand World War I is to watch Blackadder, the, the, fourth, yeah. the fourth one. Because the, the final episode is genuinely hard. Isn't the first one uh, in the, the medieval period? Yeah. 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 Okay. Ryan redacted. Godfrey is absolutely right. We have learned nothing. We should be keeping out of where we don't belong. We are wasting young men's lives for nothing but foreign interests. And Baron von Warhawk, Remembrance Sunday. The government claims they will never forget the sacrifice that the young boys of England gave to protect their homes and families from Kaiser Bill, Hitler, and Tojo. Yet they spend every day pissing on their memory by destroying the things they died for. It's sickening. Yeah, I really hear it. Pete says, uh, this is no ordinary cultural subversion. This is M&S cultural subversion. Hey. Which is, is very true. Yeah. I just... 
Alex says, sorry, Carl, I think you're tearing apart of the Marks and Spencer advert entirely missed the point. M&S understand their target audience perfectly. Champagne socialists with lots of disposable income with no love or duty to anything except themselves and their communities. I shop at M&S. Hang on a minute. Well, well I well, did before it closed down. In I had suspicions. I thought you were. Yeah, right. <laughs> he looks the type, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Doesn't yeah. It? A bit fishy. <laughs> I don't like champagne or socialism. <laughs> M&S struggled to make, <laughs> M&S struggled to make themselves relevant on the high street recently, and this shows that, once again, they have proven why they're a brand that needs to die. Uh, Ewan says, it couldn't be any more anti-Christmas. Christmas isn't about you. It's about your family. Totally true. Like genuinely, like I've I've got four kids and I'm married with four kids, and so like there's just nothing about Christmases for me. But it's fine. What's what it's for? Well, things about children, really. Yeah, yeah. it's it's, it's whole honestly point. my favorite time of year because yeah. it, it you know you get two of my favorite things: spending time with my family and Eating. indulgence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's not to like about it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why would you want Christmas to just be about you? Like my my parents are coming up, so it means that I've got grandparents to help with the kids. So like, yeah. You know, me and my, to do the washing up. Yeah, exactly. Me and my really be abused. Yeah, me and my wife can have lions in the morning. It's gonna be great. <laughs> you know, I can just sleep. Like I know I'm getting old, but like I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Matt says, "Do only what you love is do what thou wilt." Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, in the past, the family was the locus of society, traditions, holiday policy, day-to-day life, all revolved around family, which is the thread by which community and society are weaved. Now, the individual is the locus of society around which is which only the atomized ego in all of its selfishness and lonesomeness, can revolve while consumerism fills the void interpersonal connection once filled. I tell you, we have a much higher quality of commentator than most other podcasts, <laughs> as I'm sure is becoming apparent mm. as I read these out. But that, I think that's totally true. Like, I, I can't help but feel that our society is being run along French revolutionary principles, where the, the entire goal is to make each other as atomized as possible and entirely dependent on the state. Like that seems to be the, the way that Britain is being run. There certainly has been a bait and switch between English liberalism and French liberalism, which yeah. are very different things. Completely. English liberalism would have the minimal state possible, and yet we've got the largest state we've ever had, with the most tax burden we've ever had, with the most money being paid out to mosques that we've ever had. And I'm just like, okay, but something's gone wrong. You know, something's gone terribly wrong here. Uh, Zombie Philip again uh, says, didn't think you could get worse than having Dawn French doing a Christmas advert, but here we are. To be honest with you, I would pay. Well, I wouldn't pay, but I'd be. I beg for a Dawn French advert. You know, at least she was f- fairly normal. You know, she wasn't like burning Christmas cards. She did marry Lenny Henry, though. I mean, mm. well, that's woke, isn't it? How woke can you get? No. Well, I mean, maybe. Not woke. <laughs> anyway, Dawn French knows how to heat a whole gobload of mince pies. Yeah. I'd have put her on if I was trying to sell mince pies. I, I bet Dawn <laughs> French does quite a good Christmas dinner. I mean, look at her. Mm. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> my kind of girl. My, yeah, exactly. I like her a bit meaty. Oh, sorry. <laughs> She's from Plymouth as well. There we go. Back in the woods. Black Absol says, they bastardized meatloaf. Unforgivable. I, I, that's my favorite comment. <laughs> because, <laughs> because the song is about uh, yeah. love and uh, he says, but I wouldn't, uh, in a sense, uh, commit a dog. Yeah, commit adultery. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. So it, it, they they did the exact opposite here. It's yeah, like yeah. I, I would I would do the good thing. Yeah. Is yeah. Sorry, I lost. No, my no, time. no, no. You're completely right. They've completely reversed the meaning of the song as well. Yes, it's like I wouldn't spend time with you. Yeah. His, his yeah. the whole point of that song is to make a commitment to his fidelity to her, 
Yeah. And in fact, it's the opposite. No, no, burn Christmas. I'm, 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 I'm a cheat, basically. I think we've got to get somehow, you chaps got to get that. What's her? Anna Braithwaite is her name into this studio. Mm. I don't think she'll come. <laughs> yeah. see her. I think <laughs> hell will freeze over before she'll come oh, to well, our studio. Yeah, so she's probably right. I think I suspect she's going to be a bit hairy, if you get my drift. I, I suspect. <laughs> Literal or metaphorical well, sense. Both. Probably both, yeah. Both. <laughs> I, I suspect she's going to be um, from the upper class and she's going to have a chip on her shoulder about how much she feels she's put upon at Christmas. And that's the kind of person she's going to be. I think she's a Billy no mate. Fingers crossed. Mummy and daddy had to lay off the, uh, the help at yeah. Christmas. So now we all have to do it. And I'm angry. That's probably what's going uh, on. Fodder 17 says when foreign agents actively attack our traditions and culture, at what point does something need to be done? Uh, well, that point would pass many years ago, I'm afraid. Um, and if action is needed, what can be done? Once the people that are here want to destroy us, they're a part of a population, what can be done to clear them out? Well, actually quite a lot, but I'm not going to go into it now. Um, but first and foremost, it would be really good if people would stop voting for Labour or Conservatives. I mean, that's not a controversial take on this podcast, but like, why do the British public love to be beaten by people who hate them? I just do not understand it. Um, but uh, Right, last one. Sam Weston says, following yesterday's Lads Hour, I have a suggestion for potential male role models. Matthias from the children's fantasy novels Redwall and Matamio uh, by Brian Jacques. Matthias starts out as quite gawky, but as the story of Redwall progresses, he ultimately becomes a great hero and warrior. He uses his wits to defeat, Clo defeat Clooney, overcomes fear, makes alliances with both the Sparrows and the Guso Guosum Shrews, uh, is protective of his family and friends and good father and loving husband to Cornflower, his loving wife. Um, I've never heard of it, so I have got no frame of reference on this. Answer. It's all over my head, but yeah, for the suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, I guess the last one by Omar. The Miserable and Subversive ad, good play on Marks and Spencers, M&S, Miserable and Subversive ad, is doing that lefty cope thing where they swear, where they're being spiteful and angry, but I'm totally happy and content, I swear. That's another great point as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we're, we're so happy that we're burning everything. It's like, are you though? The happy people burn their traditions. There's a bit of dissonance between stated and revealed preference there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th I think we're pretty much out of time, are we not? I think so. Well, I, I forgot how to do the outro now, but... Um, Normally yes. we thank the guests for joining us. Yes, thank you, Godfrey, <laughs> for, for, for joining us. Oh, what a and, pleasure. What a great and, uh, pleasure. Thank you for the audience uh, for watching, and I suppose you can join us same time on Monday. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>